This is the Robert Hanna Show. First, Carolyn, you know, I, honestly, I just, I want to say thank you before, you know, before, you know, we get into a lot of this, because first off, I mean, I know that you're extremely busy and I know that for you to be able to make this conversation between both of us happen, you probably had to move a lot of different things around and. You know uh, what has happened? I had to get up earlier than I planned on a Saturday. <laughs> I didn't ask you. Right. What coast are we on? Right. But, uh, you know, I just, I, I honestly, I, I really appreciate it. And as we discussed a little bit before, um, you know, there's been a lot going on this week, obviously. And we talked about, you know, it's, it's been a roller coaster ride and, and, you know, for those that may be listening that don't exactly know what we're referring to, um, the Sierra Club put out an article earlier this week talking about distancing itself from Muir and connection to his derogatory remarks towards Native Americans and African Americans. And immediately, you know, the, the day that that came out, um, I know that you and I have talked about, but I mean, my phone just went crazy. I mean, crazy. I mean, I, I was worried that something had happened to a loved one at first because, you know, I woke up, I was like, ah, but um, I think. Yeah, well, uh, Richard, I mean, Robert, sorry, I'm still thinking about the other guy. Robert, something did happen to a loved one. Yeah. I just want to say. You're right. <laughs> You're right. You're right. And, um, you know, and honestly, Carolyn, looking at this whole thing, um, you know, that day, I think at, I had over 300 emails. I had all of these direct messages. I had phone calls, texts, and all of these, you know, people across the country and the media trying to reach out for a statement. And as we've talked about in that moment, I knew that I knew what was going on with, you know, of course, you never jump into social media comment section, because that's going to be a war zone. But just, you know, taking a glimpse at it, that's exactly what was happening. It was yeah. just this, this us versus them, you know, debate going on and how you know, it was. And what I did know, and as I mentioned before, um, before the, in one of our conversations, I felt bad because I didn't reach out to any of the media because I didn't want to be in those stories because there was no way that a snapshot or a comment was going to be what right. we're doing today. Right. And, and by doing that and, and them spinning it into something venomous and more of a divide and, oh, you know, it's a, it's a war between the, this family and this or I wasn't going to do that. I, what I did know was that I will never use my name and my family's platform to, to further divide and, and put people in positions where you have to choose. And how everything worked out to this moment right now between you and I, I don't think could have been any more perfect because for reasons of the universe, you and I were connected. Yes. And there's no other person that I wanted to talk with this morning. And I haven't talked to anybody yet. And I haven't put anything out there. I mean, there's no other person that I'd rather walk through this with than you because you are so authentic. You are such a straight shooter. You, you're passionate about your work. 
And, and I just think that this is kind of a, a I want to use this as a symbol to show people that it's okay to, to, to have difficult conversations because difficult conversations are where solutions live. And you and I talked before, a lot of people just don't know how to. Yeah. A lot of people don't want to. But everything going on in this country today, these are important conversations that everybody should be having. And we've got to get to a point where we, we, we owe it to ourselves. And by doing that and learning how to have these conversations, it helps us become the best version of ourselves. Yeah. So I just wanted to start, you know, just by, you know, thanking you and, and just letting you know that I, I'm, I'm really excited to talk with you because um, I think a lot of good is going to come out of this. And, yeah. and I also want to say thank you. I want to say thank you too. Sorry, I didn't let you finish. No, no, no. I may, I may do that more than once. <laughs> I apologize in advance. Right, okay. right. Um, I, I, the thought's coming and I, I want to catch it before it leaves me. Right. Uh, um, yes, I, I, first of all, you know, I'm think I also think about how the universe things line up in a very particular way and that I had just, uh, this piece I had worked on for some time and it just about a, a, a potential conversation between me and John Muir. That's this, uh, show this, this performance, this, this piece that I've been working on. I just, it just published like a week ago online. So I've been thinking about this. You know, well, you know, I may not be in an exact conversation with John Muir, but this is pretty good. Right. <laughs> I couldn't have planned that. that time. Right. When I saw that article a couple of days ago in the Washington Post, I mean, I was like, I mean, my jaw, I just went, oh, my God. And for me, the reaction was about um, looking at organizations like the Sierra Club and others having publicly saying this stuff right now in a particular way. Whereas a year ago, even though a lot of us have been saying, we want to have these kinds of conversations, you have to, you know, admit, open, open this up a little bit so that there's space for some of us, uh, some others of us to come in, you know, it wasn't happening, at least not in the way that many of us felt satisfied by. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of hooked on you, you know, I know this is not what you meant when you said it, but hooked on you saying, you know, I thought, all those messages, I thought that, you know, something that happened to a loved one. And actually, yeah. for your family, something has happened to a loved one. It's a different, I know that's not what you meant. You might have been thinking about an actual individual who was alive today right. in your life. But I, you know, I'm like, this is a loved one. And that's regardless for me of what anybody thinks about his legacy and the impact of this legacy, true or false or otherwise. For your family, this is a loved one. Yeah. And and it has informed your lives in ways that it hasn't informed the rest of our lives. It's not to say that it hasn't had significant impact on other people's lives, but there's something about how do we make space for that? How do we make space for um, acknowledging that, whatever that looks like? And I, and I think that the complexity of the situation is not something we're necessarily really good at. Yeah. You know? as people to think about your, it doesn't deny someone else's anger. Right. To understand that there's love there. Right. Right. We can actually hold those things, but do we know how to do it? You know? Right. And you know, in, in to touch on that, Carolyn, 
these conversations around my great great grandfather i've always felt comfortable having mm-hmm. because these conversations are ones that i've been having with my own family and close friends and others for a long time yeah. and just like you said i mean It's interesting because I probably have such a different like introduction to Muir than so many people. Um, Growing up, you know, most people, you know, grow up reading about his work and, 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 and learning about this, this monumental historic figure. I simply grew up learning about him from a family perspective, from, you know, being, you know, my great grandma Wanda, you know, her dad, and then my grandpa Robert, who I was named after, was his grandson. And I kind of, you know, walked through life, you know, when I was younger, it was funny because, I mean, when you're a kid, you're not really interested in who your great great grandparents are and your, and your ancestors. And I remember as a young kid just going to a lot of events and always asking my mom, like, you know, mom, why do we have to keep going to these things and, right. and things like that? Right. And then it was later on actually when I kind of started kind of seeing him pop up in history books at school and then kind of putting, you know, everything together based on, you know, trips that we'd be on and my family would say, you know, one day this will make sense why, you know, this we're connected with this and things like that. But um, yeah, to go back to what you were saying, I mean, in, in, when I got older, that's when I, you know, started really reading a lot of the work. And that's when I came across, you know, the derogatory comments made towards Native Americans and African Americans. And you're right, because that was then the process for me going to have those conversations to ask questions. And you just said something and it just, it hit. All of those conversations that I was having always started with acknowledgement. Yeah. And so then we were able to start talking about acknowledgement and then working towards a path of becoming better, evolving, you know? And so that, that's when you said acknowledgement, that's always been, you know, that's a very important thing for people to realize today in having these conversations. Acknowledgement is powerful. Yes. And I think that a lot of the response to organizations, a lot of the response from you know black and brown folks, you know, like myself, to organizations like the Sierra Club and there's the Union of Concerned Scientists that was in the article and other are predominantly white organizations, is you know the fundamentally about that acknowledgement. Let's start with that, and not getting that acknowledgement is what always you know how can there be trust developed you know between you know you're, if you are talking about diversity in the broadest sense if you're talking about change in the broadest sense when there's no there's no public acknowledgement mm-hmm. of why that's really complicated you know how can we you know the there's something i'm still sort of working through in my head about you know the article was about John Muir and actually was about a larger set, 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 set of issues around, um, I can tell my brain's working slowly. And there's something about, there's something you said and I lost my way there. Oh, damn, which are taping this. Okay. Uh, there's something about, uh, um, 
there's something in there for me about the acknowledgement and the lack of acknowledgement that's been, which doesn't mean people didn't know. Right. But because the acknowledgement costs something. It's going to, it costs something about or for organizations like Sierra Club and others to be acknowledging that publicly right now. Though, and I will just say this, and I'm not, I'm just going to say this, that, you know, we, a lot of us understand that this is also a great moment to look good by acknowledging. Mm-hmm. So, you know, acknowledging at this moment is actually, hmm, is that real? Like, what is that about? Is it about protecting yourself because there's, there, it feels safe to do so? Or is it about something else to say right. like, wow, because, you know, what comes after the acknowledgement is the hard work. Mm-hmm. What comes after the acknowledgement is, okay, so what, what's happening next? What's, what happens now with this? I think that, and I also think that, yes, it's, there's a focus on your great-great-grandfather, but he didn't exist in a vacuum. Yeah. <laughs> he did not exist in a vacuum. He right. did not create systemic racism in the environmental movement. <laughs> he, he might have contributed to it. He may have been a part of it. Um, all of those things, all right. But he didn't create it. You know, it actually, for me, again, points to why we have to look at the totality of our history to mm-hmm. understand that, you know, it's not like anybody shut him down when he was saying, when he'd make those comments. As mm-hmm. far as I know, nobody was shut, saying, hey, don't say that. Just like it's been in recent years. This, just like it is now. Let's just say, without getting political, that there are individuals who can say stuff and, who's sh- and people who should be shutting them down or shutting her down or shutting them down aren't doing it. Right. Right. Which then says, so then everyone becomes complicit and culpable. Not in the same way, not in the same way. But, you know, so it points to that sort of how are we accountable? Yeah. And how do we acknowledge that? And <laughs> what does that look like? And, and also understanding that people are seem to be so dug into their ways and unwilling to understand that people go through life with different experiences and, and perspectives and, and nobody, you know, seems to want to budge to have a conversation. It's my way or that's it. And if you don't think this, then you're over there. And, and that's, you know, one thing that I've, I, I, I guess it fascinates me about, you know, a lot of things going on is, you know, look, I know that conversation is not easy for everybody. For me and you, super easy. Yeah. And, and if, if, if I don't know something, I always go find it. And I always go ask those questions. You know, I'm very nosy. Yeah. You know, I, I want to know. I want to know about Carolyn Finney and, and the journey that, that you've been on to, to make you so passionate about the work that you do today and, and being able to go talk to people. It's fascinating. That's, I mean, I told you before, that's, that's the reason I, I started a podcast. Right. It was to have conversation because conversation is healing. Yeah. Every time I talk to somebody, you know, it's, it's something so incredibly new that it makes me curious. It makes me want to do better. It makes me want to be better. It motivates me. Well, conversation connects. Yeah. Right. So, you know, and I think that at least for myself, that conversation is less about agreement. It's actually really not about agreement. And I think sometimes it gets framed 
the, that it, the implication is, oh, we're going to come to an agreement. And actually, because often it's framed that way. So if you think about meetings, if you think about, you know, bringing people together is, so the product is, the goal is, as opposed to thinking about, it's about the process. So right. for you're building a relationship, you know, and the relationship has legs. Right. I, I'm not thinking about how we agree. Right. You know, I'm thinking about a lot of other things. How do I hear you? Is there room for me to kind of show up in there? What happens when we're both showing up like that? What might be discovered? Yeah. Um, and it doesn't mean there are things that I, you know, sure, there'll be things that I like more than others. Yeah, that's good. Or things that I, I might not like at all. Not only about what, what you have to say, but I may not like what I have to say. Right. You know what I mean? Like, that's the surprise. I might be like, oh, I just, oh, can you hear that? No. I'm going to close the window. They're moving okay. along. The <laughs> no worries. No worries. Sorry. I was like, it's In Saturday a, lawn mowing day. Right. Um, I want to I ask yeah. you, Carolyn, too, because, um, I mean, you, you have, you get to travel across the country and, and, and talk about your work. Yeah. And, and you're in many different scenarios and, and you talk to many different audiences. And I want to ask you um, just something about Muir because yeah. you get to speak so much. And, and I know in coming up in, in, your, in your conversations, you, you a lot of times speak to audiences that embrace him. And then yeah. you also speak in an audience and spaces that don't embrace him. Yeah. And I know that you're asked so much about his legacy. Is he relevant? Everyone's yeah. always asking you, you know, about his relevancy. Yeah. And I was wondering if you could expand on just your perspective from being able to, you know, talk about him so much across the country in different, you know, situations. Yeah, that's a good question. So part of it, and in no particular order, right, um, right of importance is that, you know, I always have to establish my own intention, right? So I, I can't, you know, I don't know who the audience is gonna be. I mean, oh, that's not true. I may have some sense. I know who invited me, but I ultimately don't know all the individuals who are gonna be in the room. Um, so my, I make the choice that I wanna meet people where they are, you know, to the best that I can understand what that is. And I only go when I've been invited. I like that. That's um, And I get invited, which is fantastic. So obviously I must be doing something that's working for some people somewhere, but I only go if I'm invited. So then I can meet people where they are. And so that's, that's on me, you know, that doesn't mean that, that, you know, individuals, somebody could act out or do something. And actually that's never happened. I've been doing this consistently for, for at least the last six years since the book came out, if not before that, but at least the last six years. And it's never happened. I've got some strange questions. I can see sometimes people are looking like they're not happy with what I'm saying, but I've never got anybody really right. outright. And I've been, you know, there's only, I think I counted only five states that I haven't been invited to yet. Um, so, or I haven't been invited to, that I haven't gone to. Um, there's probably one or two more that I haven't gone to to actually talk about this stuff. Um, so I, part of it, I never have, it's not always the same talk. Sometimes people want me to come talk about the book. So I have a, I have a way that I can talk about the book. I pull out a lot of the same stories, but sometimes people are asking me to come speak because, you know, it's, there, it's something about sustainability or something about conservation, or it's just, it's more general than that. And depending on who they are, I will shape, 
shape what I'm going to do in a particular way. Um, I guess I, you know, to be honest with you, before I did any research, I never thought about John Muir. That's the, that's the crazy thing. Before the 2000s, I never thought about John Muir. For me, John Muir had no room in my life. I didn't, I knew I heard the name, so I, I knew who he was, like John Muir, but I couldn't tell you anything. Right. Um, I lived in California for eight years, and this is a terrible thing I'm going to admit. I still don't believe I've ever been to Muir Woods. Right. I don't think I've been there. I lived in Berkeley, Oakland. Yeah. Um, right. You know, I'm st- and I was serving on the National Parks Advisory Board. Right. That's really messed up. I don't know. Right. <laughs> Excuse me, but <clears throat> I understood. And I started to learn about who he was. And I became fascinated by thinking about who he was in the context of the larger narrative about who this country says it is. Mm-hmm. Right. And for me, it became less about either demonizing him or venerating him. I actually don't find either one of those things useful. <laughs> and it sort of takes somebody out of the human realm to something else. Um, but I understand he's had significant impact. So there's some accountability and responsibility there, which I also will call out. But I was interested in his place in the larger narrative. And all the other pieces of individuals and moments in time and who got to decide what's the story we're going to tell ourselves about who we are as Americans. Who got to decide, you know, how we are going to be in relationship with non-human nature. Who got to decide that this was the best way to do it. How did that get promoted? What happened to all the other stories and ways of being? The, the very, uh, you know, the very original idea that I understand in this country is that for native people, the fact that we even talk about nature outside ourselves is bizarre, mm-hmm. right? So we have this human nature thing. So we're already standing over here from nature as though we're not part of it, which of course changes everything about approach and our understanding of who we are in that moment. So I don't know, this is what my brain does, right? So I think about him, but not him so much as this singular person, but he was a person that had, that was connected to a wider web of, of happenings and processes and privileges mm-hmm. and opportunities that allowed him to sort of grow his perspective, to experience his perspective. One of the pieces, that's why one of the pieces I wrote, I took his A Thousand Mile Walk to the Gulf in 1867. Mm-hmm. And I understood that he, I, I may be wrong about this, and you will tell me if I am, that it was largely about looking at the impact of war on the landscape. And he was going to Southern states and made his way to Cuba and taking a year to do that. And I I have to say to you, I love just as one human being to another, that idea of taking that time to look, see, and feel a landscape. When I did all that backpacking for five years and I would do six months at a time, that was the, honestly, the freest I've ever been in my life. Because I got whatever little, all the other things were tying me in, I, you know, I got, I let it all go. Yeah. You know, and it was a privilege for me to be able to do that. I didn't have a lot going on. And I was you, younger. And you backpacked um, all across the world. The right? world, then spent time in parts of, on the African continent, then spent a long time in Nepal, right? And thought, you know, the thing that I can appreciate about Muir, the place where I can draw that connection is just to have the privilege and the opportunity and the, and for Muir, God, I can't believe I'm saying it, the cojones to really say, I'm going to, or the huevos, whatever you got, you know, know, get out there and say, I'm going to do this thing and pay attention. 
you know, there's something about that for me was really powerful. And as a black woman and thinking about that period of time, that's why I said, I want to write, what would it have been like if a black woman had had the same thought at that time? And it doesn't downplay or diminish his own courage, his own intention, no, but it actually changes the narrative to understand. Right. Because then when I started writing this pretend narrative about this black woman doing it, I said, oh, Hell no, right? It's going to look completely different. It doesn't mean she's less, any less courageous, but she's got to, I said she was ducking and weaving through a hostile landscape, you know? Right. You know, in the, in the, in the late 1800s. Then it's Jim Crow segregation, you know? And really understanding, it doesn't mean she was less attentive, but she had to be attentive in a very different way. And guess what? Her experience like that is not going to be promoted in the same way. It's right. not going to be held up because it implicates us. Just like John Muir's experience of the landscape implicates us. Right. It implicates us that we don't promote that other story. Yeah. And so for me, it's about holding them together because the opportunity is to see that this, those two stories together actually get closer to the truth of who we've been and understanding who we are now. Neither one of them on their own, actually. Give you know what? I got to ask you, Carolyn. Um, I love this. I mean, I, we got to talk like 10 episodes. I mean, <laughs> 10 episodes. What Let's you, take it on the road. <laughs> In the spirit. What you're describing right now is just having a conversation and listening to a different perspective. But I feel that so many people look at what you're talking about and think that they have to choose one or the other. Right. And so I always, what I would say to folks, and I try to say this all the time, is you always start with yourself because that's all you can do. How are you situated in your story? What is your environmental, I call it the environmental autobiography, right? Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's got one. There is no wrong story. Whatever you choose to tell that as, that is your story. If you can know that, if you can own it and claim it, and for some people that's going to be harder than others, not the least because if they're part of a, a lineage where their experience of the world has not been valued, right, then yeah. there's some hurdles they're going to have to, personal hurdles of worthiness and you know, mistrust and stuff to work through. But ultimately, if everyone can understand that everyone's got a story, and in terms right. of the environment, everybody's got an experience and a story. And it's about bringing that story, because that's all actually you, anyone can do, is bring that story to the conversation. It is not about if you have multiple degrees and if you read all these books, and, and, or whether or not you've been all over the world. Actually, you don't have to have gone anywhere but where right. you live, right? right. You still have a rich full story and some of that story is in our dna yeah. right some of that story is in our dreams some of that story is in our spirit you know however we connect with spirit and what that is and so it is for me how we understand that and then the art is how then we share that in conversation that's the richness of it so you don't gotta know anything else you don't even gotta know who john Muir is you just have to know that to be yeah. able to be in conversation with someone who is not you god Right. And if they bring the same thing, then you can go on the journey of, you know, but I think often in this country in particular, we get caught up 
myself included, we get caught up in, you know, how much we've read, how much research, how much, where do we go to school? You know, who do we know? How are we connected? What part of, what organizations? And all of those things are experienced too. So I'm not discounting that. But it actually then, it, it, what that starts to do is just cut out a lot of people. It just starts, you just start chopping out. Well, they can't participate and they can't participate and they can't participate. And sometimes that's, get, that gets slanted to, oh, they don't, what do they really know? Yeah. I mean, what do they bring into the table? Right. You know, we frame it in all of these ways. And then we create the situation where we must outreach to them. Right. Go there and, and bring them to our table because they don't have fill in the blanks. And I'm like, well, it's not to say that they aren't economically struggling. It's not to say that they haven't been treated badly. It's not to say that all these things haven't been done to them, but they, ain't, they aren't empty vessels. I almost, <laughs> I feel it. They ain't. Right. They, aren't empty, they aren't empty vessels. They're full lived, realized human beings with yeah. a story. Yep. Right. You're not giving them a story. They already got a story. Right. So it's like, how do we make space for that? And our own bias. Right. Because everybody's biased. Everybody is biased. And bias is not a bad thing or a good thing. It's just the way we see the world. Yep. So that's part of understanding what your story is so you can recognize where your bias is. So if I'm in a conversation with someone who's different from me, I don't let my bias get in the way of us actually connecting. It is not about agreement. It is about connection. Yeah. And that's one thing that I've learned also that to have difficult conversations may very well mean that you have to swallow your pride and put ego aside. I think a lot of people aren't willing to do that. And, and for me, I mean, because I, I'm, I, this whole week has been very a unique situation for me because, you know, when you see Muir in these articles, you know, that's a family member, like going back to your point in the very beginning and, and it's personal, yeah. you know, and I just going back to, you know, so many people want the divide and conquer. I see this as an opportunity. I see this as an incredible opportunity to do just what we're doing right now, conversation that, that facilitates healing, facilitates relationships, long-lasting relationships. This isn't just one conversation. This is, this is a lifetime effort to, to, I mean, I was thinking about this the other day. I think I, I read that in the U.S., the lifespan of a male today, I, let's just say 74 years old. So I just turned 40 which means that if everything goes according to plan based on that statistic, I have 34 summers left, 34 summers left. We're not here for that long. Right. So keep reminding me. (laughs) (laughs) So we, I just, when I think of it that way, you know, I think of my children, you know, I, everything that we do now, the future is looking at for a blueprint and we owe it to them to, to not just build a better conservation movement that includes everybody, but a better world. And it starts with conversation. It's the one tool that we can all use. Right. I think I said to you that when, um, 
one of the many pieces that was written about President Obama when he left office, I believe it was in the New Yorker, is that he talked about how he made it, it was a quote about how he said, we've lost the art of the common conversation. And I love that. I mean, this is the thing that has stayed with me about, you know, what is the com common conversation? It's, it's one that I believe we all have access to, but it doesn't mean we all do it in the same way. It's just that I believe we all have access to. Um, and I believe we have lost the art of it. I also think we've lost the art of recognizing the power of the common, common conversation, you know, in terms of what we highlight. When we use words like expertise, like that, there are many words that kind of make me twitch a little bit. You, know? <laughs> you have expertise. Right. You know? I understand that it's, um, you know, it, it is a way to sort of acknowledge that you've spent time rigorously engaged with something you've worked on, right? So I, I understand that. Um, but it also, by saying that someone else has expertise, there's some implication that somewhere else, someone else doesn't. I don't know. There's something, you know, you know what we're all, if we have any of us have real expertise, it's in the living of our own lives, right? And our own lives, again, is about how we are situated, how we show up, how we feel, think, learn, love, pray, all the things that we do. Um, you know, all, they're all the learning, there's, you know, so much of the learning is right here. Uh, and how do, we, how do we create a world and a place that acknowledges the value of everyone? Because part, when I wrote down what I was writing, I was writing a note. So when you see me look away, I have to, when you say yeah, something, I write a word. Too. I'm writing okay. down everything you okay. said. It helps, me, it helps me to remember what I wanted to go back to. And, and when you use the phrase divide and conquer, which is, I also think sometimes how people frame what it means to come together, this divide and conquer, and it's got a very war, you know, a military implication. There's a way that we sort of come at each other. Uh, when you come at each other in, in terms of war, you've already decided, uh-uh, I don't like right. what you're doing over there. Right. I'm coming at you. That's what... Uh, how I, in a very simplistic way, that I understand war, and it's about protecting, right? right. For the, in terms of people, I mean, I'm not talking about war now or the military, but the idea of divide and conquer, I'd actually like to reframe that, like to, say, like to throw that out, where it is actually, how do I, why am I coming to you in conversation and thinking because you're white and I'm black that I'm assuming already that this is going to be war, it's going to be a throwdown situation. Mm -hmm. It actually start, doesn't start me off on strong footing. Right. It does, definitely doesn't set you up really well in my mind. So, right. But it doesn't put me on strong footing. So I'm, I'm kind of interested how we can even reframe the way we think of um, relationship. Uh, um, how we think about how we, which isn't to deny, and I want to make sure that people hear this, it isn't to deny the rage, the justifiable rage, anger, hurt, and loss that many people feel that part of what, you know, when I read that article in the Post, part of what it was pointing to was the question of systemic racism in the conservation movement, mm -hmm. broadly the environmental movement, how it's played out over time, how it gets reflected in the lack of, you know, power, access, and resources that um, black and brown people have had around issues related to conservation. Those things have happened, those things are true, and I'm not denying any of that. And it's how, you know, oh God, I'm really careful here, but the thing is, 
I want to be able to unapolog unapologetically say, here's what has happened to me and mine, and this is really problematic. Sure. But more than I want that is I want things to change. And I understand that part of that change means I have to change too. And this is the hard part without denying that, you know, I think there needs to be some accountability and responsibility, right? That's mm -hmm. what we were saying earlier, right? The yeah. acknowledgement, you know, um, but it means I have to be, so I think of it differently than not about swallowing my pride or setting aside my ego, just, I, just the sense of, I have to be able to take a really deep breath and, and, and expand. Yeah. For me, there's a degree. I've all, so black and brown people may say, and I know I've said it, you know, you know, I'm always feeling vulnerable. If I walk into any predominantly white space, let's say we're talking about conservation and environment, I'm, I've immediately made myself vulnerable because I can't visibly hide behind you know, this is always here. People know I joke and say, you know, I can't be incognito. This is what it is, right? All the time. And I can't be, I don't know how people are going to respond to that or what their expectation will be because of that. But there's something about, I know that unless I find a way, I'm not waiting for you to give me the answer or anybody else. And actually it's not, that's not your responsibility, right? You know, mm -hmm. it's for me to decide how am I going to be? Like, how am I going to change? Right. I'm not, and for me, the change doesn't mean I'm going to be any less angry than I was five minutes <laughs> earlier, right? That's a, it, but it does mean how do I change? Like, where? How does that? The anger, my anger, the anger of my ancestors, of my father and my mother. They're struggling. You know, they. Don't, I don't even have to go far back for ancestors. Just I'm talking about you know in the last fifty years, right. people I've known. You know, how do I? honor that, value that, what has it taught me? How, does, how did it get me here? And if I want to go somewhere else, what does that then require of me? Before I can tell you what it requires of you, I got to know what it requires of me. Only then do I feel I can come to this with some integrity and say, you know, I got to do work too. We don't necessarily have to do the same work, but I know I have my own work to do. And I don't need you to tell me what it is. I mean, I, that's my work to do to figure it out, yeah. right? And come to the table. Right. Yeah, it's you, a hard one because it's, yeah. You said, uh, you said something before um, when, when, you're, when you're watching people either have a debate and some, somebody just kind of throws out a very simplistic, dismissive answer. Uh, you said yeah. something, uh, it was, when they say that, it's something about letting them, themselves off the hook or, or something like that. Uh, I, um, yes, so that there, I wish I, I, I vaguely remember. I think that it's, if someone, <clears throat> you know, if someone is defensive, mm -hmm. you know, and we all get defensive, right? we're human beings, right? So, you know, to defend, to, to get defensive is to defend oneself. Right. To feel like you're under fire, something, you know, protection, protection, protection. Um, and so I, I know, I wish I could remember the exact response, you know, what the question and what the response was, but I know sometimes in the question around race, actually, because it was very particular in a question about race uh, that, oh, I know what I said. I know what we were talking about. Uh, I was talking about instances where a white person has said to me, why do you always play the race card? Right. And, you know, we were, so we're having, there's a conversation that's tense around race mm -hmm. 
And we were actually, I've had it said to me when I've been in a group, right? And I'm, <laughs> you know, been facilitating a conversation and, right. and had a white person in the room say, why are you, you know, why are you playing the race card? You're always playing the race card. And that's a real deflection. At minimum, that's a deflection because it now she's made it my issue mm -hmm. as opposed to it's our issue. Right. <laughs> yeah. Our issue. This is not, and I'm not playing an issue. Like anyway, I'm black. Right. I live in America, as right. do you. Do you think race has nothing to do with the history of our country? I don't believe you think that, actually. But by saying that, you've deflected any responsibility or accountability for yourself. Right. And the place when I'm feeling empathetic and compassionate which I often do. I'm actually, I think I'm a pretty nice person. Right. The place where I feel that way about it, I'll say, okay, I, I know that that's some scary, that's a lot of scary stuff going on right there because you don't even want to open that can of worms inside of yourself. What does it mean? I'm white. And if I look at all of that, holy mackerel, you know what's happening right there. I can understand that, but that doesn't excuse it at all. Yeah. And and then the first place you lob that, I'm lobbing that right back over to you because I don't want none of it. As right. though you have nothing to do with it. It's right. like, it didn't, I didn't create it. You know, it's like, it's like we, this happened, you know, because we have been in relationship with each other in a very particular way that has been defined in a very particular way historically. We have legislated that relationship. We have legislated it. <laughs> Jim Crow segregation, we legislated it. We legislated it with the Chinese Removal, Indian Removal Act, the China, you know, um, what's it called? The, the famous, um, oh, my brain, you know, that we were gonna allot how many Chinese could come in the country uh, and who yep. could not. We legislated all the time. We're doing it with Mexican immigrants. We're doing it, we do it all the time. We legislate that relationship of difference. It is no one person's responsibility there is no such thing as the damn race card. And I want to tell you that I've even thought, but I know I won't do it. For Halloween, I said, it'd be so funny for me to dress up as the race card. Like have a, you know, a card <laughs> with my head, with my face, and call it the race card. <laughs> and I just don't think I have the, you know, to do it. But, you know. Because I, I don't, I'm not interested in offending people, but I do sometimes want to shock people out and say, you know, we are actually all part of that. And eventually, the person who said it, I found another way in. I told a very different story about vulnerability. And then later she apologized. She got it. You know, I, I know that sometimes, you know, I said, oh boy, I have to meet her where she is. And I'm not saying that it's all, and anybody listening to me, any black or brown person might be saying like, well, I don't want to do that. And then you absolutely should not do it. I said, this is a choice for me. Like I had to find my way forward. And because I've chosen to also, I've chosen and maybe it chose me to make this the way that I work in the world. Right. Right. I like to think I chose it, but maybe, <laughs> maybe that's not exactly the truth. But um, you know, what's crazy, on. Carolyn, is um, when you talked about, you know, just, just moving forward and, and being better. Um, yeah. It's interesting because I, when I told you when I started going in, you know, going back to my great great grandfather, you know, when I when I came across you know those derogatory comments, it it set me on a path to want to learn more. Like I said, and that's when I started initiating conversation. Now, I had a very you know kind of unique opportunity because 
I was able to take a deep dive into the family collection to like really like, yeah. like go into his brain for, and, and for those that, you know, may not know the family collection is literally, I mean, thousands of items. I mean, it's, it's wow. every journal, it's every letter, it's every photo, it's pieces of his dad's hair. I mean, it's, it's wow. outlines of his shoes. I mean, it's, you name it, it's there. So that's the part for me like that, that intrigue, because I wasn't ever going to just stop at, Oh, well, that's how everybody was. You know what I mean? Like that, that's to, like what you said, that's letting something off of the hook. And so for me, that's why I've always, you know, anyway, so that's when I was able to jump in and I, and through that process, it's very interesting because it's almost like through that process, it helped me grow a lot today into the work that I do today that I'm passionate about around uh, issues of diversity and inclusion and some of the gatherings that we've been able to organize and to talk about this issue and things like that. And it was very interesting because at that point, then I was able to see those windows, which are often referred to where you know, his writing towards Native Americans absolutely changed, obviously, because that's what's published. Yeah. But then I started uncovering a lot of the things that just people don't know. Yeah. And, and before I get into these, I, I want to just make it very clear. I'm not in any way trying to throw any of this out to somehow justify or minimize the impact of the derogatory comments made or to convince anybody to give him a second chance or anything like that. But what I'm saying is, is I started reading and, and we may have talked, uh, but there was incidents where he was at parties and he was, he, he got into, you know, face-to-face -face confrontations with people in the military over their brutal policy towards native Americans. And I think I told you the example the other day about the Harriman expedition where they, they, the party on the Harriman expedition, and, and this I think was written about it by the Smithsonian as well, but the, the Harriman expedition, uh, the party came to an abandoned village where they started removing all of the Native American artifacts to take them home with them. And there's a famous picture where the party's out uh, with all of these artifacts in front of it and Muir is noticeably the only one missing. And so when I started reading about it, he was so, he was so furious at that, that, that they would do that, that not only obviously did he refuse to participate, but it caused such a deep divide amongst him and that. And then later on, that's when I was even able to uncover, and this is something that I didn't even know, that he uh, became a member of a Native American civil rights organization called the Sequoia League. And, and again, let me just say it one time, because I want to make sure I'm clear with everybody listening. It's, I don't bring any of this up to somehow, you know, dismiss or, or try to minimize, you know, the impact that the words that he did say earlier on had on people, but I was able to see his growth. And by that process, because he's my family, yeah, that, that, that then showed me and I connected with that because my, myself had to overcome a lot of, things that I had to go through and a lot of mistakes when I grew up. And so when I look at this overall picture, it's I've evolved and 
I would like, if there's one thing that in at least my opinion, for me personally, as a person in, in personal growth this week was because of all of my mistakes growing up and through all the lessons that I've learned, you know, from my family or because of, you know, things that, you know, like you said, my parents, you know, did things that I wasn't proud of, but I was able to correct that. And and I'm at a place now where I feel so good because when everything was happening this week, one, I've just gotten to a point where I'm so comfortable that I'm able to kind of shut out the noise and focus, but to, to deploy empathy and compassion and, and understand that, that, you know, people have different perspectives of things and that's okay. And, and that's why I just have this, this, I look at this moment as just an incredible opportunity for, for helping people. And, and I, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, and I want, and you may have met something different. I want, I mean, I want to say for people who are listening for me, yes, it's okay to have different perspectives, which for me doesn't mean that all those different perspectives are all right. Because right. what's also true about this country is that, some perspectives count more than others. Yeah. Some perspectives have significant impact in some right. cases. Those perspectives mean that people die, you know, right. you know, and then there's, you know, you can be on the continuum and that's actually not okay. So part right. of having a different perspective is also about the responsibility and the accountability for that perspective. Right. And it is the understanding that, you know, we are always in relationship, even if we're not trying to be, yeah. right? Right. That's right. So before, if you're kind of understand, you want to own your perspective app. Fantastic. Do you understand the impact that it has right. ultimately in a country that promotes individualism? Right. If you start thinking about relationship and that you're always in relationship, then what responsibility do you have? Right. To the collective. Right. And that's, I mean, even in the conversation right now around wearing masks and not wearing masks, I think that's the thing that's getting lost. It's yeah. not about individual freedoms, though right. I want everybody to be emancipated. Right? Right. Yeah. It's actually thinking about what does it mean in relationship with you? Right. What does my perspective mean? What am I willing to shift on? Because I understand more important than myself, more important than you is our relationship. Because right. it is the relationship that's actually going to propel us forward. Right. You know, if we actually believe that thing that nobody gets through, up the mountain by themselves, right. that's actually what I think it means. Right. I, right. I want to ask you real fast uh, because yeah. you touched on earlier um, that, I mean, I've picked up on also, you're very good at meeting people where they're at, as you brought up earlier. But the other thing that I've noticed in, 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 a lot of your writing and your speeches and the presentations that I've seen is you also facilitate a path of solution. And I wanted to, I wanted to kind of see if you could expand on like how you've been able to take all of the complexity of the world, talk about it in your work and then kind of identify, you know, based on people being where they're at, to walk them through a point of, I guess, not solution, but a process of, of solution. I'm glad you said that. I was like, <laughs> I was going to get you there. <laughs> I'm not going to solution, but I, 
you know, um, well, I'm, I'm thinking about process and I'm thinking about practice. Mm. You know, like for me, every day, it's always a practice, which means every time you get up, you know, I have to think about, I, I don't get it right all the time. You know, I have off days, all the stuff that's human about that. And what is my practice and what is my, what are the set of intentions that I've set for myself generally in a day, but also in a, in a life and around this work, you know, and it doesn't mean those attentions don't shift and grow as I grow and evolve. So part of what I'm trying to bring in is what I just said. Yeah. And that everybody that's available for everyone to choose. I, and I understand that it's not always available in the same way, but it's available for everyone to choose. Um, part of what I'm thinking about, some of how I answer that I can't answer. You know, I like to believe that there's some magic and mystery in how we do what we do in our lives. And some of it, sometimes I, do, I try not to look too closely at it because I want to be like, what was that thing I did that moment? Because part of it is inspired by the moment. Um, like this conversation. I mean, you know, I didn't do any homework for this conversation today yeah. because the last number of years, my life has been the homework. Right. So right. then my job becomes to be present though. I have to work on being present and all the ways that somehow, oh, if I'm tired or if I'm hungry or my mind wanders or I get stuck in something you said, and then I'm not listening, or I can't wait to say what I'm going to say. So then I'm not listening. So then I have to become better at deep listening right. and, and trust that it, you know, if I need to say it, it'll come back around to it again. Um, this is part of how I, in, in talking about and thinking about what I do and I'm, and I'm talk, giving a talk or facilitating Yes, I spent time, you know, like saying, oh, I'm going to go do a talk and I decide what I'm going to put together and I want to connect it to the present in, in a way. And sometimes there's stuff that I've said before and I'm saying it again. And someone had to remind me. And as an actor, you know, as somebody who used to be an actor, I should have remembered this, but they reminded me. I was about to, I was in Colorado, I think this was last year, and I was about to get up and I was going to do a lot of the stuff for my book and tell some stories I've told before. And a friend of mine was there and she's heard me do, you know, tell this particular story before as I before I went on to say it I said oh man I'm so sorry that you have to hear this again because I'm gonna you know here's the thing I'm gonna say again and right. she said but Carolyn she goes but your audience is never the same so it's actually and you're never the same so it actually you're telling that story but it will never be exactly the same way you've ever told it before and I went it was like light bulb. I said, she's right how did I forget that so I said the work that I have to do is not start getting up in my head about, oh man, am I telling this story again? And people are gonna think I'm just repetitive and boring. Like I just, ego, that was ego. That was all of this stuff, right. as opposed to uh, my work is to be present. Right. I've been invited, they're, they're open, you know, I'm gonna walk out and let it roll. Right. <laughs> and it'll come out how it comes out. And, and, so, and it'll be the first time that I'm saying it like this. Right. Whatever that like this is. So some of that for me is, I mean, that's how I kind of bring it. And I'm, I'm still working on this about where, so in this moment, there are a lot of organizations, environmental and otherwise, but usually with some connection to the environment, predominantly white organizations that want to have, they're are trying to really dig into their stuff right now. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they'll say, can you come in and will you train, do a training? I'm not a trainer. And right. there are people who are fantastic at training. And it's like, I can tell you, if what you want is somebody to train you, 
I, that is important and necessary. And that's not what I do. Right. I said, I can do a workshop that I'm kind of, I'm interested in essentially how are you situated in relationship to what's going on? Giving you maybe offering another way to see the relationship between something that happened over here, something over here, something over here, and where you are here. So you might not have thought about them like that. So I'm trying to say, here they are. So you'll see that. I'm trying to instill in you by telling you my own story as part of how I got on the journey as before I talk about slavery, for instance, or something, you know, I point to something over here that's really hard or George Floyd's death or this thing over here, these things that are really um, um, challenging to grasp. I'm actually also trying to get you to see that it's as important for you to situate yourself. I'm situating myself in part because I need to ground myself here, but I also need you to do the same. I'm also reminding you at every step of the way, we are always talking about human beings. And this is the thing that we are always talking about human beings. And it's actually, but and I'm really careful to say, but you don't get to jump to that and avoid all the work of, about around the difference in between, right? I, but I'm reminding you, you know, when I use myself as the lightning rod to say, you know, when this thing happened to me here and I felt scared or discounted or erased, and then I'll tell something that's funny about what I did. Ah, I made a mistake because I did this thing over here. I'm doing all that as well to say I'm human. Yeah. I'm not asking you to agree. I'm just asking for you to see. God, yeah. <laughs> right? So this is where, and, that's, and, you, and that means there's room for everybody. And there's work to be done. There is. Are, right? It's not a kumbaya moment. It is not about, you know, I don't see color. It's not about some broad brush stroke of right. we are all one. It is not about being able to use universal language to deny the difference and the challenges embedded in those differences. It's about reminding that we don't, if we can just hold that what will always be true at least for now i'm a big carl sagan fan so i believe there should be more happening i'd love to be around for it but that aside you know um that we are human you know if i can keep that 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 makes me more the ability for me to stretch my ability to be compassionate empathetic and open without denying my own hurt, loss, anger, and rage just expands how I get to show up as that. You're right. not, you're not here. You're not here. You're here. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yep. You know, and if I, and I'm going to meet you where you are because ultimately I want you to meet me where I'm at. Right. Right. Team human. Team human. <laughs> <laughs> which we always are, right. which we've always been. Yeah, you know, um, I was, the, the, when I met you, it was in Yosemite National Park. Yeah. At, at uh, our mutual friend, Teresa Baker's Buffalo Soldiers Retracing event. Yeah, that's right. And honestly, Carolyn, that was one of the most memorable trips I've ever had yeah. in, in, in a national park. Um, yeah. I mean, there was so many people who had never met one another. Some had never been to a national park before. Yeah. Uh, that's when uh, Sister Monica Parker broke out in song. 
Yeah. Oh my God. All this has come back to me. And all of those, those Buffalo soldiers on the, on the motorbikes, on the motorcycles, yep. oh. like coming down from um, San Francisco all the way down to Yosemite. That was amazing. Right. That was, I mean, I, I was thinking about that uh, over the last few days and it was such a magical moment. And, and from that has come so much. And like you just said, it's, it's not just one, it's this is, you know, we, we got to always move forward and we move forward together and. Uh, and move forward while being present where we are. Yes. You know what I mean? Claiming the present. Cause sometimes people, you know, I think people think, well, if I move forward, I don't have to deal with where I'm at, yeah. especially when I'm not, I'm not comfortable or I don't like it. Yeah. But it's like you have to be here. And I've had to learn that too many, too many people focus on the, uh, the happy ending and they don't realize the journey's the real prize. Yeah. And that goes back to when I was, I was saying, we're not here that long yeah. when you really look at things. Yeah. And we have, we have this opportunity here while we're here to be present yeah. and to do good things that, uh, that will last far long after us. And, um, you know, honestly, like I said, Carolyn, I mean, I just, I'm so glad that, you know, we, we, we did this. I mean, I, I can't tell you, like I said, there's, there's no other, there's no other way that I would have wanted to talk about everything, you know, from this week or just some of the things that we're talking about. Yeah. Um, and I hope, I, I just hope that it helps people that may not feel comfortable on how to address having issues or talking about issues and things like that. Um, I mean, this is, like I said, we could do 20 of these. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, yeah. And, and I, I hope that it just, it, it serves as a, as a powerful instrument for people to look upon. And I've already, you know, learned so much just talking to you for this long, you know, it's, I don't know. Well, it's that, you know, I, well, you know, I think it's a power of a lot of things. It's the power of story. There's something about this moment that I'm still not fully understanding about everything that's happening in the way that it has, that we have this global pandemic yeah. has, has, has shifted the way that we live here in the United States, you know, and there's a lot of resistance to that, you know, which I can respect. And there's a lot of loss because of that, that then, you know, it was, you know, soon after that, we have this um, national and to some degree global response to systemic racism. Yeah. You know, and, you know, what happened both to Christian Cooper and George Floyd, Christian Cooper having his race weaponized against him while trying to birdwatch in the park mm -hmm. and George Floyd being killed yep. on camera. Um, neither one of those things are new. And that's the other thing that I'm saying to me. There, unfortunately, there's nothing new about either one of those, except that those are two individuals that it happened to, you know. Right. And George Floyd lost his life. People yeah. lose their life all the time. And there's a continuum that everyone else lives on, you know, especially black and brown people all the time with that potential, potential hanging there. But also that it's just insecurity about you just, you know, whether you wander in Yosemite or anywhere else, 
not unlike thinking about John Muir and my made up black woman, Sojourner Washington Douglas from 1867, mm -hmm. you know, how they both can be on that landscape differently for a variety of reasons. For me, Christian Cooper and George Floyd on this landscape, yeah. you know, the difference between how they can be on the landscape and a white person can be on the landscape. It, it's, it's different. You know, but it's somehow the same. <laughs> From, you, know, you know, and I like to say, wherever you go, there you are. Because if you don't actually address what's happening, you just, it's just going to manifest into something else that's the same thing. It'll just look different, but it'll, it'll be the same thing at its root. So for me, there's something about this moment of, and I say this, Understanding that I have a very particular privilege right now, you know, at the moment I'm healthy, you know, at the moment I can pay my rent, you know, and there's yeah. some creative opportunity that's feeding me. So I don't feel like I'm losing the sense of myself in the larger community. Um, and not everybody has that right now. So I, I really, you know, I start off every day with some gratitude, you know, just, uh, you know, acknowledging that that is true. And I want to say that there's something about all the perfect storm of these things coming and that the response, you know, to it, it you know, that is so uh, tidal wave like, you yeah. know, yeah. for yeah. Uh, so that when for that article this week to happen for the sense of what you may be experiencing and the rest of us. And, but it's like every day, potentially something's happening. You yeah. know, that's why I was like, well, I started off the week. I didn't know that I'd be ending up the week in a conversation with the great, great grandson of John Muir. Like, I didn't know that on Monday. <laughs> it's Saturday. Um, you know, I'm like, this is, and it's, and the timing feels right and good and hard and um, potent. Yeah. Right? So there, it is just like, okay, so how to be present. What's the intention? What is called for? Um, how are we open for what might emerge? Yeah. That's, the, that's the, like, what emerges. So that's, it's like, that's very well put right there. That's right. Yeah, that's, that's very well put. And to your point, um, there, there's a lot of pain out there right now. Like you yeah. said, we're in an economic collapse. Yeah. Uh, people are losing their businesses, jobs. Yes. I mean, I've, I've talked to friends who lost everything during the last mortgage crisis collapse. Yeah. And then they got to rebuild and here we are again, 2020, they've just shut down their business for the last time. They've gone through their life savings. It's right. And that's why, you know, over the course of the last few days, you know, I, I was really happy because, you know, a lot of people reached out and they, you know, asked me, you know, how are you doing? How's your family doing? Things like that. And I just thought to myself, there's a lot of pain out there right now. Yeah. So my problems, I mean, that th this is nothing compared to, you know, the pain and suffering going outside there. And, and like we talked about earlier, a lot of times when you see people angrily lashing out at one another, there's pain inside. Yeah. There's pain inside. I tell people, you know, I've said this already to, in recent weeks to, um, predominantly white groups that have invited me via Zoom to be in conversation, that I said, the mistake I don't want people to make is to assume that if black people are feeling rage, anger, 
hurt and loss, that that is conflated with hate. And that gets, that happens. All that hate. I said, that's not hate, you know, because, you know, all of us in our lives feel some anger, pain, hurt, and loss. You know, that anger and rage is about hurt and loss and anger and rage. And it is justified. But understand that that's not hate. That's not what hate is. Right. right? If you have somebody you love in your life, and they, whatever capacity you love them in, but you love them, and they're angry about something. They're angry. They get enraged about it. And you may step away for a minute to gather yourself because as a boy, you, and we, you know, you have to protect, maybe you just want to make sure it's okay. But you also, I imagine, at some point want to confront it because what you want, because you love them, is for them to feel better, for them to be yeah. healed. For them to be, is there something of role you can play? Do they just need you to witness? Does it need to be that you can support? Can you actually, is it something you're doing that's impacting that? Oh, I didn't even know that. Let me work on that. That's what you do when you love somebody. That's what it means to stand by somebody. So part of what also is getting revealed for me is the lack of love. When you look at groups of people who historically have been treated as though they're not loved the same as everyone else. We don't like to talk about love because it sounds corny, but really it is the most powerful thing ever. And to understand that if I'm really angry, it's because somewhere underneath, I believe I haven't been loved enough or as much as somebody else. And it is reflected every day in legislation, policy, cultural and social behavior, curriculum, when I, you know, when I, when I don't see anyone who looks like me, when I don't see myself valued, when I don't see my family valued, that's what I am angry about. And why shouldn't I be? But then I, it's not because I hate you. Right. Actually, that's not the person I want to be. I aspire to be better than that. But that, I don't want to deny my anger in order to get there. And I'm not going to just, you know, because I don't want to be like, just love me. Is I'm not saying it like that. It's like... Uh, but there is something about if you really want to stand with me and stand by me, you don't have to agree with me. Everybody, do you agree with everybody you love? No. <laughs> I don't either, right? No. <laughs> right? Exactly. No. <laughs> Which doesn't mean I love them any less and understand what that requires of me, which is not to be what they need me to be. That's not what it requires. But it, it, it requires me to be clear enough so I can stand by them when they need me. And so at this moment, when we're experiencing a lot of rage, in particular by the Black Lives Matter movement, for me, how does everybody else stand by that? I, you know, I'm not saying that what everything everybody's doing is the right thing to do, but I am saying there has to be a place for 400 years of rage to go. <laughs> Beautiful. I mean, that's... I tell you, Carolyn, I mean, I just, I'm so thankful that we're, we're able to do this. Me I mean, too, too. You got me emotional. <laughs> I'm blaming you. <laughs> I, yeah. Man, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I'm not really You're getting me now, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Ah. Sorry. I mean, I'm not sorry. Never mind. No, because that's what it is. If it's not emotional, if it's not, you know, where, where is it written that emotion is, um, is bad? Where is it written that, I mean, emotional, having emotional, what do they call it? Emotional intelligence. 
is a, is a gift and a strength. And I think that, again, we often, you know, if emotion leads, sometimes emotion leads in a way that isn't, you know, um, you know, I'm interested in the way that both emotion and, you know, intellect, uh, spirit, uh, all those things can actually kind of come together and lead together. You know, I actually am not afraid. I'm, people who know me are just going to laugh when they hear me. I'm not afraid of emotion at all because <laughs> can you tell? Yes, you know? right. And I cannot tell you how often in my life in different spaces, I've been told that I need to bring it back, wheel it back, you know, um, and that includes academic spaces. Yeah, that includes, you know, there's, you know, spaces that is though, oh, I, you know, being called everything from oh you're so passionate or bombastic or using all these terms that are meant to denigrate the way that I know and engage the world, one of the ways that I know and engage the world, and to make it fit into something that's become acceptable. Um, here's how we engage around that. How can I, you know, and, and, and then when I can step back, I go, oh, my God, I feel so sorry for you. Because that means you're not fully, you know, you're just showing up with this piece over here. Right. <laughs> As opposed to the whole, I'm like, no, no, I feel so, come on, come on over to my, you know, this team over here where you can be fully out there and, and get comfortable in it so you know how to channel it and, you know, ground it and shift, you know, um, it's like we can learn how to do that. We, we've got that. I believe we have that um, capacity. And we just have to get there, you know? Um, we just got to get there. Yeah. And that's the, uh, that's the whole point. You know, it's we've got to get there and never stop trying. Yeah. Um, yeah. Man, you got me. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> Oh man, you know, I just, you know, this, uh, this conversation, Carolyn, just has meant so much to me. Um, you know, I told you earlier, you know, I already had the fire to, 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 to do what, you know, my work and, but this is what I, I I'm talking about. It just, it makes me even driven having conversations just like this one to just be better, do more have more conversations, open up, make myself vulnerable, learn. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. You know, Robert, you know, well, we don't have to talk about this now, but you know, I can't help it. But you know that the whole piece I was writing was to have a conversation, as a conversation with John Muir. You know, we have to work on this. We do. You realize? Can I show you something? It's a, it's a damn. It's like it's the level of conversation. I didn't. I, I can only have so much conversation and create it on my own. Can I, I show just, you something? Yes, please. I want to show you something. Um, for people listening just on audio, I'm holding up uh, two inkwells, and these were the inkwells that were my great great grandfather's. Wow. And. I brought these out this morning because for me, these, these inkwells are just very simplistic, you know, things to look at. But when I look at, when I look at them, they're, they're the tools which he used to have a conversation with the world. Yeah. This is them. Yeah. 
this is them. And it's so important that we have conversations, difficult yeah. conversations, uncomfortable conversations, opportunities where we look within ourselves, yeah. question ourselves. It's okay. It's okay to do it. It's okay to disagree with people. It's okay to, to ask about things that you don't know. A, such a big problem is, is too many people talk and they don't listen. Yeah. They think they have the answer for everything. And a lot of times you can learn a lot from watching and listening to pain yeah. and anger. And, well, wi and witnessing, and witnessing, witness, and witnessing. Anger, right? And witnessing. And yeah. um, Carolyn, I mean, I, I can't wait to look forward to, to all the good that's coming now. Yeah. <laughs> you're stuck now. Now you're stuck. <laughs> I know. <laughs> But um, yeah. this is exactly why this is this this conversation is everything that I knew it would be. Yeah. It, there was a lot of unknowns, like you said. Yeah. Earlier this week, I never knew that we'd be having this conversation. Yeah. And and I don't think it's a I I just don't think it's coincidence that that this happened. And you know, like I said, it's it's. It's important now, and, and I can't wait to, to just to, to talk with you, ask you questions, learn from you. And vice uh, versa. Yeah, and, and work together. Because yeah. like I said, I mean, we have opportunities to change the world. Yeah. Let's change the world. Yeah. And, um, you know, I just, I, I can't thank you enough. And, you know, I know, I know you're busy too. And, you know, I feel like I, I can't believe I, I just looked up. I didn't even realize how long we've been talking. I mean, it's. I have no idea either. I could, I, I could do this. <laughs> I, wow, could do, yeah, yeah. I could do this all day, but, um, but I want, I would like to, first off, I mean, I, I think it's so important for everybody to, to be able to find you and to, to, you know, go, I, how do, what's the best way for people to reach out and, and to connect with you? It's the, what my website, which is carolynfinney.com. Yeah. <laughs> Literally is the easiest way. You just have to remember my name and then there's a, a contact and it'll come through my email. Yeah. And then um, also, yeah. you know, I know you're on social media, but I mean, everybody out there, I mean, you have to go to carolynfinney.com. Um, you've got to check out, you know, all of the, the, uh, the presentations that are live, uh, I believe a TEDx, a TEDx talk. Yeah. Um, I just, I, I think it's just so important. And I, I just, I'm just so glad this happened. I mean, I didn't realize I'd get emotional. <laughs> you got me. You know? But I think, you know, honestly, I'm, look, listen, I'm going to open up. I'm going to make myself really vulnerable right now. Um, I got emotional because this is very important to me. Yeah. And I know it's very important to you. And I know that it's important for a lot of people out there. And um, I'm just, I'm really, I'm really thankful that we got to do this. So, I mean, I can't thank you enough. You know, thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you for, you know, oh, you know, you know, for me, one of the things you asked me before we got on, I think before we started recording was, you know, why, I sort of come to the work, why I wrote the book, write, wrote the book I wrote, why do I, why am I doing this? And there may be multiple reasons, but you know, 
one of the primary ones is watching the way that my parents and the experience of my parents caring for a piece of land for 50 years basically got erased out of that history taking care of land that wasn't theirs right it was their job to take care of somebody else's estate um, and watch how they got erased from that history you know I, I think it was unintentional but I think it's something that has happened historically and and that I can never go home again I can never go home again and neither can my parents. And I, there's something about, I see these platforms and these conversations and the work. I don't usually say this. I mean, you know, yes, I've been able to tailor this in a way that I can also make my living doing it. And it's a privilege doing, getting paid for something I care about, but it's also attention because it, you know, complicates the, the issue a lot. Um, but at the heart of it is, it actually makes the story, my parents' story and their connection to the land and my own and my brother's, it makes it visible. And it means that everyone else's should be visible too. It makes it have value. It's, um, we might not be able to physically go home again, but there's still a way that we can be present and talk about that home and the memory of being there is alive and right. And so when I think about John Muir and the good fortune that, and through his work and his connection to land in place for all that was complicated about that, um, but that that memory has been alive for all these years. It's live with people who will never meet him, who will never meet you but they know who that is. And, and I think about people like my parents who have already been raised, you know, the place, um, the estate now has a conservation easement placed on it and the organization that did it, they probably didn't even think about it. You know, it's gone, they're gone. And so for me, it's at the end of the day, how all of our stories have value. And I realize that not everyone's story can have the weight and, you know, um, not everybody's story can take to, can hold the space like a John Muir. And for me, it's not to say that everyone's story should be held up in the same, but there's something about, you know, all of those memories and stories tell us something about who we are. And actually the story of John Muir and my parents actually together also tell us the story about who we can be. And that's actually where, I want it. that's where we actually stand, but actually I want us to be better at that, how we hold that. That's, yeah, that's beautiful. I mean, that's it. That's it. <laughs> I mean, that's. Thank you, Carolyn. Yeah, thank you, Robert Hanna. And, uh, you know, like I said, I mean, I just, this is just the beginning. Thanks for listening to The Robert Hanna Show. Follow us on social media and be sure to check out the website at hannaman247.com.